so I went to a uh, physical the other day, okay. and that's about as graphic as I'll get. But uh, no, I, <laughs> you know, you go through the whole. Oh, you know, you have a family. You have how many kids? Uh, that's always the response. Yeah, yeah. And then, right. oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a teacher. Shock and, and I, I always just say I'm a teacher. But then they always follow up with. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you teach? And then it's, yeah. oh, what do you teach? I teach theology. So the doctor had a med student and it was not a, a young hotshot med student. A little bit more middle-aged. He age, was older than me. Past, yeah, past even older than you, okay. if you can believe it. But he said, <laughs> they teach theology in high school? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of what's getting taught in schools these days, at least public schools, it has a religious connotation oh, to it. Oh, yeah. See, it's, it's all theology, right? It's all theology at this yeah. point. Welcome to The Voyage Podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue. With your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. Welcome, everybody, to uh, this conversation or this episode of The Voyage Podcast, where Jacob and I are going to be kind of like what we did when we had a, a nice long reflection on the pivotal and somewhat controversial. Oh, a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. A long, the long controversial time ago Last that. of Us episode. Um, so we we knew that we'd be coming back to this just because it's such a powerful show and uh, and we both enjoy it and you know you were saying how you um it's become good conversation f- with your own older children. Oh, I especially liked uh, I especially liked the episode before the final one um, yeah. where we finally got some Christian representation, Mike. Oh yeah, is that what you want to call always, that? Isn't always pleasant. You know, yeah. I will say, <laughs> isn't it always pleasant to see uh, well, Christian but, representation? But honestly, in, though, in modern media? what I do like is the guy even said, like, I know I'm just using this. And so if, if in a sense you want to say, oh, it's anti-Christian because the guy who uses Bible verses is a bad guy, but it's like, yeah, but it's also the the guy who is willingly lying mm. to use Bible verses. All that shows us really is that it shows how powerful, even in the apocalypse, theology or religion is still going to be. Is that it, if it can still be That's used really as an effective weapon? No, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you are such an optimist, Mike. I, I, I appreciate just how well you're able to. I think to it's, it's one of those see, things. See someone spitting in your face and calling it rain. Um, <laughs> I think just you know, <laughs> everything, it's all just a backhanded compliment to Jesus is really what yeah. it all is. Uh, That's true. That's true. I will point out my retort to you will be simply this, that there are two um, religious types in that episode, sheep and a predatory leadership class that, yeah, that uh, uses religion they don't believe in in order to... stooge a bunch of sheep oh yeah no right? i know and isn't isn't that just isn't that just people's interpretation of religion in a nutshell Yeah, the only who, good who guys the only it, actual you know? good guys are the the ones who are who don't need religion or who are so critical yeah of it, so. right no yeah and this Absolutely. this is not yeah. a uh you know apologist for uh yeah denigration of christians episode again i don't need to take that role again so. <laughs> we actually had some good things you actually had some good things to say about uh so he said, this is the, um, I mean, obviously we can talk about the entire season, but um, talking about the, the season finale and yeah, if we need to do a spoiler alert or anything like that, um, if anybody, if you're interested in watching it, I mean, I think the value of any, you know, piece of media, any show is not in the reveal or in the surprise anyway. Like I could, I kind of knew the spoiler. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, because I did and too. like I said, the the video game's been out for over ten years. Uh, the first one, it has, and it follows, and it's, and it, you know, very closely. So, 
specifically, it's my um, son's favorite video game of all time. And he's probably replayed through it like three or four times now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been, it's been a part of video game pop culture from its inception. I mean, it was such a well-received, it's, I mean, it's basically considered the the greatest video game of all time. At least Um, narratively, right? At least like story-wise. At least narratively. Obviously, that's kind of like a broad swath. Um, But it is, it's extremely um, well-regarded. And because it's the narrative that was so fundamental to it, it, I don't remember when exactly I was spoiled on it, but it was relatively early on, and it's just been a part of and just to just open knowledge so for a long. The entire time arc of season one is you have Joel, the main character, and then Ellie, um, the the girl that he's protecting. Uh, what is she? Is she like fifteen in the game or in the show or whatever? Yeah, I think so, she's like fourteen. So, um, and he's he's taking her across the United States. They start in Boston and they go. They're supposed to go all the way to was it Colorado? I think or something. Um, and this is, you know, apocalyptic wasteland. There's, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, and then they have to go back down to Salt Lake City. Okay. So and, when they um, get to Wyoming, this the there. idea is that some, for some reason, and we don't know when she's first introduced that she is immune to this virus that is turning everybody into monsters. And I know I'm not supposed to say, you know, zombies, they're infected or whatever. And cordyceps. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Mushroom people. Yeah. And um, and again, what I'm sure many people have noticed is that you hardly really ever see the infected throughout the season. It's really more about the the people are the real threat, right? In many ways. Isn't I mean, it been interesting? It's been, it's been really interesting how, well, I mean, I guess it's unfair to say that you hardly see them. I suppose when you reflect back on it, they do show up quite a bit. But certainly the second half, I would say, of the season, the second half of the show has been far heavier on just human interaction. Yeah, and... You know, the last three episodes... The the infected are more of a plot device than characters, which has probably always been the case in, like, every zombie uh, show. Yeah, that's very... That's very... That's not, uh, like... Yeah, it it could very... It could just as much be a wild animal. I mean, really. That's that's all Mm. they really kind of are. It's a MacGuffin. Uh, I mean, like... But that that is true of any zombie... Yeah. Any zombie story. So... One of these days, we'll just have a zombie episode. No, definitely. Um... Maybe when uh, Jonathan Pajot comes on, right? Uh, so, <laughs> when he, fan of the show, I've heard. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, the so he takes her across the country because somehow she is um, seemingly immune to this, right? There, there's a reveal where she's actually been bitten, but she doesn't turn into an infected. Um, so they're like, "Hey, what's going on here? Is she maybe the way to save everybody from this? You know." zombie apocalypse for lack of a better term mm-hmm. and yep, yep. so so he take he finally gets her to the destination right through all these you know and it's really what is it kansas city is kind of the first huge struggle yeah. and then um, which i guess that is actually different from the video game um we okay. did specify that neither of us have played the game right i don't remember if you actually said that i don't or not, yeah but, maybe not i don't know but i'm i'm just talking I've, about the I've show right now seen my kid play through it so many times at intervals that i i have a passing familiarity with it but uh so the I'll play it one of these. So days. the big, I guess, um, you know, conflict in the in the final episode in the season finale is okay. So he gets her there. Um, he gets incapacitated in some way, but then it's revealed that oh, this mm-hmm. is where he was supposed to bring her. But then he is told that she's being prepped for surgery because they're going to basically extract the the cordyceps out of her brain. Is that? Fair to is that mm-hmm. describe it, and um, that is correct. And and a cl- like something out of a 1950s sci-fi movie, they're gonna re- remove her brain and and put it in a blender 
and get a uh, good old fashioned antibody. Yeah, so make a sort of vaccine out of it, out of it um, for lack, again, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. And yep. obviously then it's it's revealed that it's going to kill her. And so this is kind of- Because you need a brain. Well, that's- Turns out, you know, modern science tells us that you need a brain. You know, I told you the story of my physical. Ba- they did mention that in the physical. They're like, you do need- And I was like, thank you, doctor, <laughs> for- so, um, Well, <laughs> how, are, how are you even functioning then, Mike? I mean, since, uh, <laughs> oh, but, um, oh, gosh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that was um, pretty good. So, so Joel obviously has this moment, right? He can let it happen. And in a sense, he did his job, right? If you think of like the overarching theme of season one is he does, he did his job. He, he- Care he brought I mean, her. The, there's, I watched the little like synopsis. Like, you know how oftentimes TV shows will be like previously on yeah. whatever. Um, I watched through it, and they flash back to a sequence early on where he refers to her as cargo. Okay. He's yeah. like, she she asks him the question, "Why do you keep going if none of this matters?" And, and he says, "For family." And then she's like, "I'm not family." And he says, "No, you're cargo." And of course, he was a smuggler before this whole thing too. So it's like if they very much set mm-hmm. you up. I just loved actually reflecting back on the whole season. You know, they show it's yeah. Like, it was actually really was, really valuable to watch that review well, of the season. And you think if, of like just even it, just the way he held his daughter in episode one compared to how he held Ellie. It was like a, it was supposed to be, and of course it was supposed to be a parallel, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so they were, they were setting up and even just in so many of the, you know, we mentioned the Kansas city episode where it was the, the older brother and how he was supposed to protect the younger brother. Um, And so, and that obviously how that went south. And um, and then we have the, uh, you know, the long, long time episode. This is a very, very rhyming show oh I, yeah it was i mean it, it, it's it's very powerfully it was there a lot of typology um, its, right you could say a lot of typology yes, between is, yeah. the previous episodes and the season finale mm-hmm. and um, you you are going through a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same story structures uh inverted well not necessarily inverted but like again like it's rhyming yeah it's mirroring elements from the first half of the show being mirrored in the second half of the show. And there's like very that. much a sense of, uh, and you're supposed to get a sense of fulfillment, right? Obviously, um, again, talking about spoilers, we haven't even gotten to this, but he he decides to go back in. He basically kills everybody, uh, including the doctor who is well, going yeah. to... And well, yeah. Well, I mean, because <laughs> I feel like you kind of... So, like, basically, he gets her there, and then it's like they're going to take the brain out, and then he he discovers this in real time because he's been incapacitated. Up until that point, yeah, and uh, he's informed that she doesn't even know. Basically, moments that, before surgery, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's right about to happen. Um, so this all happens very quickly, um, and he's given a basically immediate choice to make, um, which he doesn't really hesitate on at all. No, <laughs> right, like not even for a moment, which probably plays into it. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, so uh, I mean, so like I said, he he, this re- information's revealed. Um, he of course didn't know about it beforehand, or he wouldn't have taken her. Uh, he then turns around and kills everybody in the hospital except for the two nurses, um, because he kills the doctor, and then he and then of which course, evidently you can in fact kill in the video game if you so choose. I, well, and because kids are vicious. And I was gonna say though, um, doesn't that set up? for the season two, I think. I think it's supposed to set you up for season two, uh, not to give anything more away. But um mm. at least so or so I've heard. Uh yeah, so, no, I, I get what you're saying. And there. um but then and and then of course except for Ellie and he carries her away. Uh he is confronted by and I can't remember her name, but the the one who kind of gave him the mission in the first place. Do you remember uh Yeah Marlene. And um you know again very dramatically kills her too. And then Which uh 
fascinating, um, which evidently was not in the video game. Okay. I think that's what my son said. Um, that the show opens, the final episode opens with um, a flashback to Ellie's birth. Oh, yeah, that's and, true. We didn't uh, talk about the that. Show, the show spells out that um, uh, Ellie's mother was with the fireflies. She was pregnant. She got bit by the cordyceps um, zombie and um, fights it off uh, so it doesn't kill her. And then she gives birth. And um, somehow that's uh, being infected while giving birth is what results in Ellie's immunity. But more importantly, well, maybe not more importantly, but also importantly is the fact that you discover that Marlene and Ellie's mother were best friends, mm-hmm. best friends from childhood. And that she had to kill. And they had a significant relationship. Ellie's mom. And that she did because Ellie's mom was, in fact, infected. And so um, the last promise that Ellie's mom extracts from Marlene is to save her daughter, raise her daughter, take care of her daughter. And so you get the impression that Marlene's actually been something of a mother figure to Oh, Ellie. gosh, that even um, that heightens it even more, doesn't it? Which it really does. Yeah. No, it absolutely does. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I am not not a fan of she, this show. She acted right? in that way. There's moments too. that annoy me, but this show is is making some really, really profound story yeah. Um, decisions. No, it's, um, I mean, it, and uh, HBO has just been knocking them out when it comes to, like, I, I think that the, and I know that yeah, people can have their complaints, the or whatever, but person. yeah, in terms yeah. of their dramas, um, it, they've just, yeah, very well written, very well um, acted and all that stuff. So I do like actually, not that this is what the point of our uh, conversation is supposed to be about, but I do like the explanation for the immunity as well. It wasn't, super like over overly technical or scientific i did like that it had to do with the you know quote unquote natural childbirth process or the mother to child relationship i thought that was significant um and it wasn't too like kind of deus ex machina sort of thing where it was almost like um bordering on magic i felt like it it felt natural Mm. it felt it's um, interesting so i i had never really given serious thought to why ellie's immune which I don't know. It seems kind of like an obvious question in hindsight, and yet for whatever reason, maybe just because the story you doesn't want to need, treat it like a myth and just doesn't inherently it. need yeah. an explanation. Yeah, it's just you just accept that she's immune for some reason, and who cares why? The only thing that matters well, is that she in the same way that most zombie stories, this. you just accept that there's a zombie thing. You don't. Yeah, I mean, they do a good job of Oftentimes, there's too. not a, a great. Um, you know, on the classic Night of the Living Dead, which is kind of like the first zombie film and kind of the prototype the Romero, for all zombie yeah. films. Yeah, the Romero one. Um, you know, like he, uh, it's it's just like space radiation, maybe. Oh, I didn't even really know. Sure, I, I right? honestly you know, I thought like, there just wasn't an explanation. There, there, I couldn't even remember which, that. Well, I mean, and it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not, not one. Yeah, you're right. right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, space radiation. Sure. You know, it's like, quant- ooh, just say quantum. Yeah, yeah. Just put quantum in there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right. Just anything you want, you know, chemical spill. It could be well, anything. Well, that's what How actually, again, not only does it make the explanation of the virus, like, feel natural too when going back to the first episode kind of the the pre um what'd you call the uh prototype the the prologue almost prologue of the episode Mm. like they they made that sound somewhat natural like i actually thought that was you know pretty decent in terms of as far as explanations go like obviously oh yeah yeah no this cordyceps thing is probably probably the best but uh, but same thing with the probably the scariest even maybe even the scariest i mean there's something so unique and interesting and plausible feeling about this cordyceps strain and Um, and same thing with the immunity though like i felt like in the same way that 
it almost like, and not being um, an immunologist or any biology expert in any way, uh, it, like you said, it feels more natural. It feels more plausible than most uh, zombie show explanations usually are, which again, that's not the point of the zombie show anyway. So well, that's fine. And before we move on from the birth moment, um, let me say this. What you were saying um, a couple minutes ago was there's a lot of imagery of Joel carrying Ellie as she's incapacitated, yeah. as she's knocked out for surgery, right? And um, you know it, what it kind of invoked in my mind was like the Pieta. Okay. Where you have this image of the mother holding the son, sure. right? Um, and the son is the sacrificial victim. Well, and right? she very much was um, had this kind of like for sacrificial savior right? role, right? That was thrust upon and, her. And so, yes, exactly, exactly. And so when you see these moments in the final episode where you have, you know, they've gender swapped things, right? So now it's a father uh -huh. holding a daughter, but, and the daughter is the sacrificial victim and meant to save humanity, Right. And so there's just these kind of religious overtones to the imagery on display with what's happening there. Now, what's fascinating about this TV show is um, it's almost like a Last Temptation of Christ type vibe. Okay. Where, um, yeah. you know, in that famous movie from uh, Martin Scorsese, 1989, you have Jesus um, seeing his life if he chose not to, <laughs> chose not to be sacrificed, sure. right? Um, and so... Uh, Last of Us is kind of playing with this savior complex. What happens if the savior doesn't save humanity? Yeah. What happens if the chosen one doesn't save humanity? So to continue with this messianic vibe, um, when you go to the birth scene, A, you have something of a special birth, right? Yeah. It's not, that's about as far as the analogy goes, but... It's still there's something nativity unique, story, right? Which is cool that yeah, again there's something unique about this. Or, this Orthodox birth and Catholic Christian ancient Christians and the Church Fathers always saw a significant connection between the nativity and the uh, passion, and so mm -hmm. um, you you they you know again not claiming that anybody on the show was doing this on purpose, of course. But. No, no, but this stuff happens, right? Symbolism happens, yeah. as our friend of the show Jonathan Paget would mm -hmm. say. Um, but. Uh, the um, Orthodox Church is going to uh, celebrate the Annunciation. Um, oh, sure, March twenty fifth, right? This Saturday, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and yeah, uh, in the I, Catholic I calendar, love it is how. Too. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. Okay, you guys got one thing right, <laughs> yeah. but um, <laughs> the uh, uh, I love how symphonic uh, the liturgical calendar is, right? Because we're here, we're gearing up for. Uh, Easter, we're gearing up for Pascha, um, which is just Greek for Passover for all you non-Orthodox types. But it's our Easter, um, and uh, it's you're 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 focusing on the death and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus this entire season, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you have this weird sudden, suddenly out of nowhere, this weird oh, let's talk about the beginning, let's talk about Jesus's promise to be born, you know, yeah. like. And so you flash back, you flash back to uh, these themes of Jesus's uh, promise and birth um, in the midst of the well, season in which we and this we this actually didn't start death. with with Christianity. And again, speaking from a, a Catholic or Orthodox and ancient Christian perspective, this was this has long been a tradition in Judaism of the prophet being conceived on the day that he died. On the day they they and died. So, yeah, yeah, um, that's true. So obviously, Jesus, not the of course, he was more than a prophet, but being a prophet, they would have at least a prophet. Yeah, they would have they would have fallen in that same tradition, and so we would have mm -hmm. his annunciation or his conception 
which was historically nine months before on December 25th. Well, nine months before the 25th, but then um, ch- historically, uh, that would have been Good Friday. That would have been like the first Good Friday would have been March 25th as well. Um, mm, yeah. And so, and that's because another saint in both of our traditions, uh, the the Good Thief, uh, known as Saint Dismas, mm-hmm. right? His yep. feast day is on March yep. 25th. And so, of course, saints being recognized on the day that they enter eternity or the day that they enter heaven, that would have been the day mm-hmm. he died, the same day as Jesus. Right, right. Um, so when you have that flashback to Ellie being born, the other thing that I thought was um, almost iconographic was, you know, if you are familiar with the... Um, Oh, what's it called? The the Gospel of St. James, the, the, chi- the Proto-Evangelium. Proto- Who isn't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? <laughs> oh, you haven't read that one? Um, but uh, the Proto-Evangelium of James, James, the childhood, it's a child gospel, right? But it goes into- it goes into the childhood of Mary, um, his, too, yeah. Yeah. And and so much of, and it's this is very serious in the Orthodox Church. I assume it's, it's equally so in the Catholic Church. But um, our feast days are very informed by that story. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it really is kind of like an unofficial fifth gospel. I mean, don't take that too far. We we clearly it was have not the included in the distinct... canon of the Orthodox or right. uh, Catholic New Testaments. But right. like you said, it very much informed it's the very liturgy. Influential. We have the feast yeah. of the presentation of Mary um, on the on the calendar. Yes, which is from it's yeah. from the Proto Evangelium of James. Um, you know, even just the the. Uh, the tradition of Joseph and Mary's betrothal and by St. Zechariah mm-hmm. um, is from yeah, Proto and, and all the, um, you get those characters in the parents, um, Saints uh, Joachim and Anna. Yep. Joachim and Anna. Yep. Uh, they are brought in from that story. Like we understand their history from that story, things like that. But here's what I want to point out. And it, it struck me super weird when I was watching the episode of The Last of Us because you have this scene. There is the zombie, uh, you know, she. there's a zombie chasing this pregnant woman. She gets into a farmhouse, which is kind of a nice callback to George Romero's Night of Living Dead again, frankly. But uh, she gets into this farmhouse. Um, she has to fight the zombie off with a, a switchblade that ends up being the one that Ellie's using mm-hmm. the entire show. But um, so she kills the zombie and then she looks down and the baby is already out of her. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I right? know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Yeah. You know where I'm yeah. going with this? And so like in the evangelium, the proto-evangelium, basically the depiction of Christ's birth is that it's this miraculous kind of reality where um, her her like virginity is never broken. Like her, he, he is removed from her body mm. in this um, unique way, right? Um, and in the show, I swear to you in the show, it, it comes across as weird in the show, in the show. It's like, Oh, fighting a zombie, fighting a zombie. And then all of a sudden there's just a baby on the floor. Yeah. And it's like, well, I know where the baby came from, but like, where did the baby come from? So you say that it's just, like a miraculous birth there all of a sudden. Of, yeah. Like a there's almost this, birth. well, and yeah. I'm not saying the show intended, well, but I mean, as someone who's just familiar with the tradition of the church, yeah. um, that is like is like well that's <laughs> that baby well, is just just on the floor all of a I sudden actually, it just kind of shows up I, you know I I wasn't I I didn't think you were going in this direction but it also made me think of if you remember um, Saint Paul talking about creation um, being in like groans of labor pains and talking about for mm-hmm. its own redemption and so we have this yep. you know very much a a um, 
labor labor pains like giving birth process <laughs> with the it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a redemptive arc right because Ellie's supposed to be mm. the redeemer of humanity right through her yep. through this process and so how much of a you know almost on the nose um, of an image when you have those two things tied yep. together too which again of course we're not um, thinking that was the intention but it's just how it's crazy how it just happens like this right too too much it's okay yeah. it's okay to point these out you know for a long time i i kind of hated this concept of the death of the author because i only ever saw it used in really annoying ways it was a deconstruction and the biggest of... example yeah the the biggest example personally for me is i was such a huge fan of bram stoker's dracula the novel right and so I, I, I really liked that novel. Um, and I took a college course in which it was like gothic fiction, right? And I was like, ooh, that's right up my alley. And Frankenstein, Dracula, Jacqueline Hyde, reading all these books and discussing them. And, you know, sure enough, because this has been the way for the last 60 years, is whenever you talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula, most of what you're going to be taught, or at least what's going to come up, is that it's um, all about sexual realities yeah. and that it's all about the exchange of body fluids and um dracula coming into a woman's room at night and all the sexual overtones and things like that um and so it seems like the only thing modern academia gets from bram stoker's dracula is a lot of it is just that it's like oh let's talk about the uh salaciousness of this story but here's the thing if you read that novel not only is it not salacious, I mean, it, if you if you use the word salacious just broadly, okay, whatever you uh -huh. call salacious, but like, not only is it not depicted like romantically, no, it's if anything, it's very rapey. It's a, if you're going to bring it's a the condemnation sexual of lust into it at the at yeah, best, it is extremely anti all of it, um, and it's very rapey if anything. But even then, it's it's very subtextual. Um, and most of that book is uh, very much championing like the fight of good against evil yeah. and just how wrong, like just how evil Dracula is and how wrong everything is. And people just want to turn it into this kind of romantic thing. So much so that this is my tirade. I'm sorry, but I'll put this out there too. Um, Docker Stoker, which is like the grand, the great grandson, whatever. Great, I don't know. He's a a, a descendant of Bram Stoker. Uh, wrote a sequel, an official Stoker Estate sequel okay. to Dracula. Um, and oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. But what was worst of all was that it is completely of the same ilk with all the modern kind of connotations about who Dracula mm. was. And it turned, it, it is, it is just a terrible book. Um, and it, it's just a complete rejection of everything that makes the original so, yeah, cool. Just complete, but anyway, death of the which, author. I mean, it's kind of par for the course, right? So it is, yeah. And so I, I, I've uh, for a long time had a real grudge against that concept. But you know, in the last like uh, we'll say like five, ten years, I've come around to the realization, the the unavoidable reality that that's a very true thing. That yeah. it doesn't like it does matter. I will, to my dying breath, champion the fact that it matters what people intended to say, and it's at least as important to understand what people are trying to say with their art mm -hmm. than it is what you interpret. But that being said, how you interpret it and what you bring to it as an audience is also at least as important as it. 
And so for better or for worse, because sometimes it's for worse as far as I'm concerned, but you can go and bring your experience and your personhood to these forms of art, these stories that we watch or read and sim, you know, like synergistically get something out of that material that becomes really universal so, and not beholden to just what the authors were trying to so say. So what are you going to bring to this? We haven't even gotten to like the actual like yeah, conversation. the reason why we're yeah. having this episode. So yeah. What are you going to bring to the uh, conversation on Joel's decision to basically, you know, kill all the fireflies in, in the hospital um, to stop the procedure, stops the surgery, obviously then saves Ellie's life. But then in many in many eyes or in many um, considerations, what damning or dooming humanity to this virus, dooming humanity to well, this, let me uh, just say, you know, one of the biggest reasons why it's like we should do and we should just do a response video to this, even though it's been out for a week or and a half or so now, as of the time of this recording, um, is like you know everyone's talking about this, and I remember it being a big conversation when the video game happens. Mm. But now it's reached a much broader audience and I'm seeing conversation pieces in all areas of entertainment media about this storyline, about what happens here. And it's like, we ought to throw our hat in that ring and, and just jump on that bandwagon and get them And clicks, what we right? liked about it is, like, like so much of the, like every episode of The Last of Us, is it doesn't just take the overly simplistic route. Right, like our conversation on long, long time. I mean, this is a very complex. Whether you, whether <laughs> this is very well, complex. Um, whether you, you know, whether you agreed or disagreed with either one of us, or whether you liked the episode or not, long, long time at least um, made the made the question more interesting. Whether it was the question of redemption, whether it was the question of relationships, or you know that sort of thing. In the same way. Um, this this kind of final scene where okay, it's like he almost it almost seems like he's um, stopping her from being the Christ figure. You know, you went into all this before of how it's reminiscent of the Pieta, but it um, how she would have been the, oh, the yeah. sacrificial I'm gonna, victim. I'm going to yank that rug out from everyone though, with my opinion. Well, <laughs> no, but the idea is <laughs> just, that just it seems like hint. oh, is this another example of like um, the show subverting or deconstructing or going against Christianity because Joel, the good guy, so to speak, stops her from being the sacrificial victim. And I would, and I'm sure you would argue like, it's not for one, it's not that simple, but in some right. ways it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a perfect parallel. Um, it wouldn't have been even a good parallel to Christianity or Elias sacrificial victim for a lot of reasons. Um, but that's what made his decision. I mean, I would say ultimately, you know, so important or made it right in that se in that, um, episode. So, uh, there, there are just so many facets. There's basically love. There's this is another onion, Mike. Oh. There's layers to this, and so my immediate response is this is a dunk on a type of utilitarian primacy. You know, um, we have a whole episode that hasn't aired yet that we get into different ethical systems that we happen to have like recorded um, prior to this recording. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time. I don't think that episode like was recorded systems, from the foundations but... of the earth. That's like our, that's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been there. It's ironic that it hasn't aired yet because it actually was recorded a while ago and it would be convenient if we had an entire hour's worth of conversation about ethical systems before talking about that's this, okay, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It's, it's not a big deal. 
the one thing I'll say is that um, utilitarianism is a powerful system uh, where you're basically just trying to do the most good for the most people. And generally speaking, it's really effective. Generally speaking, it's a good tool for, well, give everyone a slice of pizza. Don't give all the pizza to just one kid. You can use it in a very rudimentary sense and superficially it works most times. Mm-hmm. Um, but we live in a reality in which utilitarianism has become like the de facto, like king ethical system. And it doesn't work by which you view time. every other system. And so it becomes right. a sort yes. of like litmus it's, test by which every other system is seen as good or bad is through the lens of utilitarianism, which like you said, it has its place. It can work in certain, you know, in certain contexts, in certain works. circumstances, it works, yeah. but yeah. it yeah. can't be, yeah, the way by which everything it else is judged. It can't be your fundamental. Yeah. For the Christian, it is not the fundamental and not even yeah right? because and it's not even built to be that, uh, that it's not even about you know oh no. this is just the christians it's not an arbitrary thing like the the system itself yeah. is ordered towards or dependent on something that precedes it but yeah like consider all of this a, a sneak preview yeah. of what that conversation will be like when it finally yay meta ethics uh, which will be a miracle <laughs> unto itself yeah yeah um but, but uh, anyway so my first my my first instinct is to be like, wow, a show in which uh, doing the most good for the most people is not just uh, universally assumed um, as what should happen. And so it's like golf clap, last of us. Mm-hmm. Good job. Um, because let's get into that. Um, the the idea because I was having this conversation with my kids last night, right? Um, and we had this conversation, we've had this conversation before in context of the video game, frankly. And at that time, you know, I was bringing up questions of, was it right for America to bomb Japan in World War II, right? Um, how do we, how do we address these ethical questions? Oftentimes it's from a utilitarian framework and the justification for dropping the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki was we were going to kill, um, a hundred thousand innocent people, but we're going to save, um, hundreds of thousands, if not a million, um, war fighters and potentially innocent victims when you have this massive raid on Japan, right? Presumably there would have, yeah. presumably who there, knows how long the some, war would have gone some on. Some calculation you can make all that, this stuff. yeah, this is. It's this mathematical calculation yep. where, all right, the juice is worth the squeeze. You got to break a few eggs to make an omelet and we're going to mass murder a hundred thousand <laughs> men, women, and children, um, right? In uh, and heavily, am, heavily a civilian <laughs> populated and Catholic populated place of uh, Yes, of it Japan. was the vast majority of Christians. The vast majority of Christians were wiped out in that bombing. Japanese Christians were wiped out in that bombing um, just to uh, make it personal yeah. from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Um, but uh, that being said, listen, I'm just glad I don't make those choices, mm. right? I'm just glad that I don't have to be the one to make those types of decisions, I think that uh, life is hard. Reality is hard. I think that uh, I'm not going to sit here and just... I will let that conversation persist, right? And I see I see different sides of it. But fundamentally, I don't think I would be the person 
to kill a hundred thousand innocent people. Well, and right? to because I don't think that Christians are. I don't know if this if you could say this <laughs> is like that. to their credit <laughs> or whatever you want to say, but like they the Last of Us almost almost made the calculations a little bit easier because they do make it clear that for one, like you already mentioned, Ellie was not given a choice. It wasn't like she was the willing sacrificial victim like Christ was because they did not tell mm-hmm. her this was going to happen. Um, they right. just assume she would have made it. If you remember, that's what Marlene says. That and is then, true. Yes, um, yes. And also there was not even a guarantee that this was going to become a cure or become a, like this was going to save everybody. So this wasn't even a, like a sure thing anyway. It was just a, like you said, breaking of breaking an egg to make an omelet when you don't even know if you're going to make an omelet. Well, and so here's the thing, um, from a utilitarian perspective. Now, when we revisited this conversation in the aftermath of watching the TV show, um, me and my children, uh, they had basically internalized some of the teaching that I had given them years prior, where it's like people assume that it's okay to kill one person to save a million lives, right? But you really have to interrogate that logic because if you, in fact, in Sunday, last, you know, our last um, reading in uh, our church was. Uh, Jesus's words, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his uh-huh. soul? Um, and that actually kind of applies to this this circumstance here where it's like, what does it profit humanity to save itself at the expense of becoming moral monsters, at the expense of using its of losing its humanity, right? Um, and so it's like you it is not correct to just throw away even a single human life in some kind of uh, algorithmic mathematical interpretation of what's going to technically save the most people kind of thing. I do not think that is the proper paradigm from which to view things mm. um, when it comes to how we're supposed to operate as humans. Yeah, we because, don't, it's not so, just about us becoming better calculators, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not even about doing the most good for the most people. It's really not. That's just not, that's the type of kind of like anti-Christianity. It, it looks Christian. Mm-hmm. It looks Christian, but it, 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 it's actually pretty skewed because what Christianity is actually going for is um, the union of man with God. And death is, a, is, is, we should care about this world. We should care about death. We should care about fixing things. We should do all that, but not at the expense of our souls. Yeah. And that has to take place in the heart of every unique individual human and you cannot sacrifice your soul for the power to quote unquote fix things. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, and then by by extension, though, the world itself will fix when everyone commits themselves to doing that. Right. And again, um, another sort of layer of irony is this is played out by the seemingly you know horrible action of Joel of just going through and killing all these people. Now we're not here to, this well, is the onion layer. Well, yeah. No, that's the onion layer. That's layer two that we, because, we should talk because about, obviously but. this isn't, this is none of those were murder, right? Because none of them were, were innocent. They were all like, they were aggressors, right? Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else, because sure. they were protecting this captors, yeah, captors, they were, aggressors, they were protecting this military um, type, unjust, unjust act of, you know, uh, violence against Ellie and Joel really. But, uh, so, so we don't even have to get into the whole, the whole was he justified, but going back to oh, what I you think said, actually, I actually, I know that I've mitigated, I don't know if it's in an aired episode or not, but I have talked about how, um, yeah, I think it was the Mandalorian stuff actually, wasn't it? Where it's like, who cares about stormtroopers, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Sure. I, I will actually, um, I'll take a different, I'll take a different cant on this 
if we're going to start talking about it, we can start talking about it. But I have thoughts here. But go on. Well, so basically that, um, yeah, I, but the point was of this wasn't even, was he justified in, in getting to her and, and saving her sort of because, um, if you want to, if you want to factor in all those other things, um, we were just talking about utilitarianism. He, he was not, they were not, you know, innocent civilians. They were like I mentioned aggressors or captors, or they were protecting yep. this unjust action of basically, you know, basically murder on, on Ellie and going back yep. to your thing of like, well, is he, you know, quote unquote, losing his soul, right? The, him having to, to kill them to save her, those in a sense, like those were actions to protect. He was working towards the good of saving her and protecting her, which then unfortunately, right. And this is just like any, you know, whether you talk, um, just war theory or, um, yeah, it's like just, yeah, war theory. where it's like he, it, he was trying to, um, he was working towards this good end and they were preventing it from happening. He was defending her and they were stopping that from happening. So, um, so here's what I'll add to that. Um, and this is just the rather marvelous complexity of this entire sequence of events. Um, sure. Right. Uh, if, if Joel was brought in to right a wrong, um, you know, all of that makes sense. The, the little nuance here though, is that, uh, Joel is not a character who cares about right and wrong. (laughs) Frankly, Mm -hmm. Joel is not someone, Joel is a blunt instrument, um, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he just cares frankly, kind of selfishly about his daughter figure. He just loves his daughter figure. Yeah. And so it, so here's the thing. I had the whole conversation last night about the basic Christian response to whether or not you should sacrifice one person for the sake of many others. Right. Um, and just to put a quick pin on that, cause I don't want to get dragged back into it, but um, even in the face of the apocalypse, um, the analogy I gave last night, another video game, um, zombie invasion is the flood from the Halo games, right? And in the Halo games, they're actually really kind of approximate to the Cordyceps in the sense that they're this weird kind of like fungus, uh, you know, invasion parasite type thing, you know, and they're very zombie-like um, and uh, aggressive. And their name in Halo, the Halo game series, is the Flood, hmm. which I think is very typological because course, we yeah. have a story of a flood. And it's basically when humanity, the flood is something that God uses to course correct humanity. That he like the assumption is that we can take on faith is that humanity was so far gone that the only way to save humanity was to introduce the, a, a world-ending event. The control right? of delete and, sort of thing. And, and just like uh, the Babylonian captivity, there's many examples in history. I mean, there's, in the Orthodox tradition, I might uh, posit, take with a grain of salt, I'm not some expert, you know, don't don't roast me over the fire for this, but like, you know, uh, Byzantium falls, Constantinople falls eventually, and uh, is there a, a preservation from corruption uh, affiliated with that? I think as a Christian, we're kind of, we're, it's, we're given permission to interpret big historical moments Mm -hmm. as things that are within God's purview. Right. Um, and we can just be, we can have faith that God's in control of all this and that he's allowing things to happen for a reason. 
if you remove God from, like, so you watch the episode of The Last of Us, and God doesn't play a role in it, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you remove the idea that God's ultimately in control and that everything does happen for a reason, which they make fun of that concept in the episode prior to this, of course. But, like, when, when you believe that you don't, you are not ultimately responsible for this reality, it allows you to not make monstrous moral decisions for the sake of quote unquote saving this reality. You are given permission to step back from those types of decisions and allow God to be in control, which is why I ultimately think that believing God is a moral good. Mm-hmm. It, al- it produces more moral results because it's not such a um, power-driven, I need to fix this, I need to make this happen, or else there's no other solution type. Um, uh, what's the word for that? Uh, it's a... Uh, like a savior there's like a, complex? Is that... Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not the word. But it's whatever. It's, uh, it's a zero-sum game. Okay. If you don't believe that there's a transcendent reality that's uh, taking care of things ultimately... This life is a zero-sum game okay. where either you fix it or you don't, right? Yeah. And people who are stuck in that paradigm are find themselves making really horrific choices. Right? Well, and that's, again, um, you could almost say like, you, you were talking about how that was, it was not the intentional, um, it was not the intention of the, the author, the screenwriter to have Joel be that. And it, like you said, he wasn't doing it for some noble purpose. And yet he still mm-hmm. kind of could play that role, right? He still, um, I, I jokingly said to you, I was like, he he still owned utilitarianism, even if um, that wasn't like his conscious well, yeah, motivation. Yeah, we still get the commentary. Conscious intention. We still get to, and, yeah. You know, it, um, it goes back to one of the, um, the big criticisms, the criticism of utilitarianism, like we said, it isn't just that we've become good enough calculators because it's not about us becoming better calculators. It's what do you even mean by good? Because then what you're saying is that utilitarianism by saying doing the quote unquote most good for the most people, it still is dependent upon something qualitatively different that precedes it. And it's not sufficient. So yeah, regardless of how good of a calculator Joel was, or if he was a bad calculator and the fireflies were a good calculator, it's, it's really not the point. And he can prat fall through thirty bodies into doing the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, but and yeah. So and and even if like like you've already mentioned, it wasn't the character's you know intention. He was just doing the the selfish thing, at least from his subjective uh, perspective, mm-hmm. right? Now, which hey, honestly, the Old Testament's full of examples. Like well, this, and that's just right? it. Is like so I, you know, and that's part of the to whole use the cliche is writing straight with crook- crooked lines, right? I mean, in right. one sense. Yeah, the, that's the book of Judges, isn't it? And you were you were actually mm-hmm. talking about when you were talking about the the almost like cyclical or um, repetitive nature, but how it always kind of turns it a little bit. That's basically the book yep. of Judges, right? You have a generation of Israelites that they fall into oppression or slavery. God raises up a judge, saves them, and then they get comfortable and complacent, and then they fall back into oppression. And it's like then God raises up another judge and another judge. And in a sense, you know, the book of Judges is a sort of um, uh, apocalyptic wasteland if you think of like that that type mm. of existence oh yeah it is and it so absolutely is, it yeah. does provide a sort of like blueprint for so many of these post-apocalyptic shows i'm almost thinking of do you remember um that denzel washington movie the book of eli too it's it, oh, it yeah, makes absolutely. it's very much a got a book of judges feel no, to I, it i made right? this point dude i made this point just just when i was having this conversation with my kids is like uh 
from a from a strictly utilitarian perspective, because what some people are saying is that well, the biggest problem is that they didn't give Ellie agency, right? Uh-huh. And hey, that is a problem. That is a problem. Yeah. The savior should be allowed to choose to be the savior, right? And it's almost it's almost a plot hole that they don't even ask her, because it what I was about to say was. Almost. Yeah, Yeah, it it almost makes it too simple in the sense that, like, you know, the Fireflies could have asked Ellie, and then presumably Ellie would have said yes. I think that the show actually kind of implies that she would say yes. Uh Um, But um, even if she didn't say yes, the Fireflies could then go and be evil and just do it anyway, right? So it's not like asking Ellie would have prevented them from making that decision for her. Yeah. But they could have at least given her the choice to do it. And then there would just basically be like no problems here. There would be no there would be no moral quandary um, if Ellie chooses to go through with it and they just act upon Ellie's will. Um, laying down her life for the sake of others is the highest virtue. Yeah. Um, and so um, then she becomes genuinely messianic. But they don't. They just they don't want to quote unquote risk it or whatever. <laughs> but I'll just say from a from a strictly utilitarian perspective, who cares what Ellie wants? Who that's cares what Ellie That's the wants. whole point. That's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, agency is not a why good is, argument for why not is killing one Ellie. Person's desire, You're going to end the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, one person's yeah, desire, you know, like you said, her life is worth it, is <laughs> right is now worth more than however many millions of people you would save. Yeah, it doesn't matter right? what Ellie wants. So I don't think her agency. If if you don't have a sense of like ultimate virtue, ultimate ethical value lies in the dignity of the human person. Um, because of transcendent reasons, uh, then there's no good reason not to kill. Because yeah, did they have some? It's worth. Did they it. have some clicker that told them how many humans were still alive that she would actually save, or potential humans she would save? No, of course yeah. not. Right? You know, it's and just so, it, yeah. So she should die no matter what if you don't have a reason not to kill her that that isn't rooted in arithmetic. Um, but uh, but anyway, so. He does go through uh, because of his love for her. And we can look to that as a kind of like... Yeah, even if it's um, imperfect, right? That's, symbolic, yeah. yeah. A metaphor for love being the greatest good and it trumping these types of uh, utilitarian considerations, right? I, it's a flawed version of it within the context of the story, but but you can look at it like a metaphor like that. Um, and uh, But then he lies to her and says yeah. that... Um, you know, so that's going to set up really interesting ramifications. I that think too, for yeah. So the two, two. I mean, well, yeah, we'll just not even worry about uh, give no, any sort yeah, of giveaway. There's could... been speculation about the two big things is obviously what's going to happen with their relationship because of the lie, which you get by the look on her face that she kind of knows that he's lying about it. Yeah, she knows. And then, yeah, and um, so that's going to create this division and then the, between them for the sure. The nurses that he spared, so Joel's mercy. Uh, so there's witness. Yeah, yeah, there's witnesses to what happened. So yeah. So that's going to play out for sure. Um, Did your pl- kids play the second game? The Because I thought that they're yeah. going to base season two off of the sequel, which I'm interested because there there isn't any other game after the second one. So then what are they going to do with it? Like if they're just going to have season two follow the second game. Um, It'll be curious to see if they stick to it as closely as they did season one, which sticks to the game really closely. Um I kind of hope not. I kind of hope that, that they it just becomes its own diverge thing. more from season two. And then in like season two of the game, George, like maybe it's like season three. I heard that George R. R. Martin is going to help with like write the show. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's good. That way it'll never get done. Um, the, uh, 
season two is not as universally loved as season or game one is. Uh, game two well, is just, not universally it just really loved. Changed, and it even my son, it, like, my son is. It does, and honestly, we'll have more to talk about when the time comes. We'll see what they, they definitely lean into themes from. It becomes more problematic from a Christian perspective, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we'll get there. Well, we'll see and yeah, how it like goes. you said, even if because even though people talked about how close it did follow the game, like where it did diverge, it did for important reasons, and 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 I, it did make the show better. I mean, it made my son who's he loves the game so much. He, he really enjoyed the differences that they did in the show. And I, he didn't I can take imagine, and again, this is speaking as somebody who didn't play the game, but I can imagine that it was, it was because it wasn't, um, going against the, the, the teleos of the characters in the game or the story in the game. It was just expanding it, right? It wasn't a, um, a distortion of doctrine. It was a development of doctrine to use uh, the language of, <laughs> of, of our person, nice. of our mutual, you know, one of our mutual favorites, John Henry Newman. Right. There um, you go. So, yeah. so yeah, no, if they can continue to uh, do those authentic developments when it comes to the foundation that's already been laid, whether it's season one of the show or the, the two um, video games, uh, then it will continue to be, uh, I mean, and, and again, they're, they're getting the best TV writers that you can get basically. So, before we before we wrap up, um, I want to point out to you, we we kind of glossed over well, just war theory. You know, they were aggressors. Joel was in his right to do what he did, kind of thing. But let me ask you something because this is where my conversation with the kids. It's like you know, I know the, I know the Christian ethics of not breaking a few eggs to make an omelet, but um, not not cracking a few skulls to make a antidote. Um, but uh, what would you have done? Put yourself in Joel's shoes. Yeah. Put yourself in Joel's shoes and really think about this. Are you seriously going to sit there and kill 30 dudes who are just trying to save the world? Mm-hmm. And they're doing it wrong. <clears throat> they're doing it wrong because they didn't get a permission. But Joel probably knows that Ellie would want to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, and Mar- we didn't even get, we never got back to Marlene. We never got back to the interesting. Him kind of um, like betraying her and killing her. Him being the father thing. figure and she being the mother figure. And the, like there's, there's stuff there. There's yeah. interesting stuff in that conversation. Um, but like the mother, the mother is okay with it. Mm. Right. Oh, okay. So that's where so you're getting into if, the whole, if you're, like, yeah. if you're, you're, you're getting into this idea that like, it's probably true that Ellie would be okay with it. The mother is okay with it. Um, well, his reasons are selfish, but there again, what's, uh, you know, like, so it's, it's actually kind of a but question here's the of thing too, is like, there wasn't any sort of time constraint. It's not like they needed to do the operation by midnight that night and they couldn't have gotten her consent before. And so that's where it becomes, okay. So you're clearly trying to avoid this, which actually seems to indicate, okay, maybe she, Ellie would have said yes. But the fact that you are, you're not even like you said, going through the proper channels, that almost tells you as the viewer, they knew they were doing something, um, you know, uh, uh, wrong. And so that obviously makes it even more like you're even more on Joel's side there. Listen, I, I think that a lot of people hang an awful lot of hat on this hook of, well, she didn't give consent. Right. Like she did not choose. Well, this and I'm not verbally. saying that's what made it right. Or and wrong. it's like, I just don't know if that justifies killing all 30 people when she probably, everyone kind of knows she would have. But there again is like, and so it's like, it's like, it's almost like a technical argument more than like, well, what I'm not saying feet on the ground. What would you, what do I'm not saying is that it made it right or wrong. I'm saying is that it tells us that they knew 
right? Because like we can keep saying that, oh, they figured that she would have said yes, but then it's like, okay, if you were so confident she would have said yes, then why didn't you give the opportunity? And so that's what I'm really kind of pointing towards is not This so is much... why I find it to be something of a plot hole because it's it's the one thing in the show where it's like it doesn't make sense. Like it, yeah. there's no sound reason for them not to have just asked but then her. It could, right? But then it could very much be seen um, as, well, that was their way of justifying it because they knew, right? And so that's where... That's that's where I'm. Yeah, I find that like listen. From that perspective, like I said earlier, even if she said no, kill her anyway. <laughs> I mean, like from their vantage yeah, point, right? No. They're obviously willing to. They're obviously willing to. And so there's really no good reason for them. But, and you're, you're pointing out that there, there's kind of a sense of shame, almost like it's like, well, we're we don't want to we don't want to live with the knowledge that we did it against her will. So we're just going to assume her will. And feel warm and fuzzy about it. But the idea is that um, you're you're saying like, well, then that does make the other thirty people, you know, moral monsters, so to speak, because now they are, you know, again, every soldier is not going to have the same degree of knowledge as the general or the uh, commander in chief is going to have either. So obviously, you could, if they're just henchmen, you know, you can kind of feel bad for them yeah, or whatever. But here's but, the thing. Here's the thing is in the same way that I don't think that Harry S. Truman is a moral monster. I don't. I don't think he's a moral monster for making the choice he made, right? I don't find the Fireflies to be moral monsters. Um, if anyone fits the moral monster paradigm better, it's technically Joel, as far as I'm concerned. He may have done the technically right thing, but he did it for the wrong reasons, and that matters. Mm -hmm. And um, frankly, he just he just slaughters 30 people in a row who are just trying to save the world. They're just <laughs> trying to save the world. Okay. But that's why this is such an interesting complex conversation. Right. So, I mean, it, it is what it is, but I think that, uh, I, at the end of the day, I still think there's a ton of moral complexity to this question, even though I do think that we can understand as a paradigm, human value trumps arithmetic. Right. Just had to get the last word in, didn't you? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> at no, least one. That was uh no, thank I mean, this was a, a great impromptu conversation that uh we we both really enjoyed and, and look forward to. I mean, it probably won't be for a while, but and maybe even more of these sort of if you want to call them reaction conversations when it comes to just both shows that obviously not just shows that we like, but shows that kind of fit into whether it's a sci-fi show, a fantasy show, um, something that kind of touches on the mythology that we both enjoy. And then of course the theology that we love so much. So we want to thank, um, all of you guys for coming to, to listen. Don't forget to like subscribe to the show, give us a five-star rating, um, leave a positive review, uh, it, it helps justify Jacob's utilitarian existence. He can then, he, he actually is worth more points then, right? It's harder for people to decide yeah, to kill him because true. it's hard for them to do that calculation. If he can look to those five-star reviews agree. and those positive or five-star um, ratings and positive reviews. So please be sure to leave but those. But in fairness, in fairness, if you judge me by any ethical system, I still come up on top. Just utilitarian happens to be one of those systems too. So <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, anyway, um, yeah. Look forward to um, you know. It depends. I guess we'll see. You know when this one drops and what our next conversation will be. Uh, Jacob did mention we are going to talk a lot more about the meta ethics and conversations, especially around um, AI technology and how it kind of plays into whether it's utilitarianism, uh, deontology, and virtue ethics. So look forward to that one too. That'll come up uh, very soon as well, and we'll. Talk to you guys later. Take her easy, folks. Thanks for listening to Voyage Podcast. The Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing. 
which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life. Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 